Praise the Lord. This is Brother Julius again. We are going through the Gospel of Mark. We are now in chapter 2. And like I was saying, I normally we just read through it and stop at some points to, to give insight and compare scripture with scriptures. Verse chapter 2, verse 1. And again, the, the Lord Jesus Christ now is what he's talking about. He entered into Capernaum after, many, after some days. And it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, in so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Now, that story that was reported there was majorly, I think, it was reported clearly like this by Mark. Matthew may have referred to it, but Mark really put it down that Jesus Christ was in Capernaum and he was in the house. And you have to remember when, when sometimes we read these stories of what happened in that this generation, people. Sometimes we can't figure out, we can't appreciate how can they break a roof? Because it's not the type of roof that you have in your neighborhood or in your city that they can break off. So in some places, some countries, they have a, a decking. So that cannot be broken also. In some places, they have a, a, a what you call the gable, where it's, the roof is like this. But in their own case, it might be a flat roof, being a flat roof and then tile, then they can easily uproot it. If it's a gable, it's not easy to, to even do that. And then in our generation right now, you can see the type of roof that we have in our neighborhood. I'm looking at the roof of the house right now. We have a, a, a concrete tile that is on top of the real thing that's covered. So it's a, it's, it looks like, how can that be possible? But you have to put your mind back to that dispensing, that generation where they're having a, a flat roof and the type of tile they can easily dismantle. That was what Apostle well, Mark was reporting here. That they brought this man, they couldn't get in. The old door was jam-packed. People were inside. The John passed the crowd at the outside that were trying to listen in from the outside. There's no way they can trample them on, on, on their feet and they won't let them because they also want to listen. You want to carry somebody inside. No, you, you have to wait your tongue kind of thing. So these men were so desperate to get their friend to Jesus. And the crowd was empty, so that's why they for the press. They couldn't, and they are carrying this man in a stretcher. It's a born of four. So they went and broke up the, the tiling of this roof so that they can lay this, they can drop this man with ropes in front of Jesus. Maybe they were able to peep and see that there was a little open space in front of Jesus. Because if the whole place was crowded and it was sunny in the midst, maybe there's an open space. 
in front of him. Otherwise, there will be no way they can even drop any ball in front. But whatever they did, they must have thought it through and said, we can do this, we can do this. And that man that was sick also had to be not afraid of if you suppose you fall down, well, you're going to be worse. Right? They are taking a risk also. Going to carry a man to the roof and drop him with, your, with ropes. Yeah, the man is definitely if he's going to die, he's going to die. Not so. But, but that desperation is called faith. When you're desperate to get all of your miracle, it's called faith. And that was what Jesus Christ was going to address in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, the Bible says Jesus Christ saw their faith. How do you see faith? He saw their efforts. That's what I mean he saw their faith. He said unto the sick of the person, you could look and see that these people were dropping this man in front of him with ropes and the man that was sick on the, with the policy was lying down letting them do this so that effort that's as faith i mean the, they are the main business that's what me faith they are desperate to get this man before jesus so jesus christ said to the man he said unto the sick of the policy son thy sins be forgiven thee now Jesus Christ mentioned sin first. He didn't even talk about the sickness. It's a sin. Many times, people don't realize that the sin of the world is what is causing sickness and disease in the world, number one. Also, individual person's sick sin could be, can be bringing a repercussion also. Some sins bring repercussion. Whereas some sicknesses just came because the world is full of trouble. Not this man's particular sin, but because the world is full of trouble, trouble is affecting anyone that they could, they, they could latch onto. But this man, Jesus Christ said, I sin before giving him means himself could have been the, have a, sin, a sin that he has done has made this sickness to come upon him. So that is one thing that we can deduce from that when he said, I sin before giving this. But verse 6, when there were certain of the scribes sitting there, and listening in their hearts, why does this man not speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? So the scribes were wondering that, how can you say if somebody sins forgiving? We are not God. So that's what he thought. But verse 8, immediately when Jesus perceived in the spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier? To say to the sick of the palsy that I sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. The which one do you think is easier to say? To say thy sins be forgiven thee, is that not easier than to say, Arise, take up thy bed and walk? Yes, that one is easier because how do you know? I can say your sin be forgiven thee, but do I know whether it is forgiven him indeed? That would be my wish also, or my prayer. Even if I declare it, or do I know the can I see the record in heaven whether the sin was really erased? I don't I can't I can't ascertain that also. So that's why Christ said that one is easier to say, but for you to know that he has the power to forgive sins and I say I'm going to do the one that you think is even tougher. I'm going to say the man to rise up and walk. So that's what he meant when he said. Verse 10. But that ye may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said unto the sick of the person, I say unto thee. Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. See what I mean? He was telling you that when anybody can say that his sins forgiven, whether, whether it is really forgiven or not, you, you, nobody will know. Also. 
That's easy to say, but I want to make you to know that I have power to forgive this on earth and to, to, to make you know that I'm going to do the one that you know is tougher to do. I'm going to tell man to rise up and walk, which is even tougher to say than forgiving your sins. Because then you will see that with your own eyes also. With the sins that you say are forgiven, you cannot tell whether it is really forgiven also with your eyes. But the one you will be able to see with your own eyes that the man rise up and walk before your eyes, then you know that yes, that's tougher to do, but now I will do that so that you can tell that. The sin are forgiven, are already forgiven also. So he told the man to rise up and walk and go into his house. And verse 12 says, Immediately the man rose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, in so much that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. We never saw it on this fashion. But it was God manifesting in the flesh. Verse 13. Now the Christ said that with the work that he does, we will be able to do also at the end of the world, at our own time. So the work that I do, you shall do also. Greater works than this shall be because I go to the Father. Now he is the position of the Father. We that believe in him he has given us the authority to do similar things. Now we have to all remember why are we not doing greater things like this? The Spirit of God, the Bible says Christ was given the Spirit without measure. That is, the old Godhead fully is in him. The Holy Spirit is in him. Now we believers, we were given the Holy Spirit by measure. He distributed himself among us so that this one may have the gift of faith. This one may have the gift of healing. This one may have the gift of uh, speaking tongues. So that he distributes all those things to all of us. So that not one person among the believers have all the power to do everything. Like he has. Because he is all the Godhead was in him bodily. But now it is distributed among all of us. That when two people gather together and pray, we have more authority than if one person is praying. That's what he's saying. Also. And then, of course, the Holy Ghost can muster any power he wants at any time to manifest signs and wonder when the Spirit of God wills. But individually, we have authority to do some things. And when we pray right, the Holy Ghost can muster more anointing, muster more manifestation, manifestation to make miracle things, miraculous things happen as the Spirit wills. So that is what we know about the fact that, uh, yes, we he said we will be able to do greater works than this. As the Spirit wills, we can do greater works of the work that He did. The Holy Ghost in us can muster all the manifestations that He wants to do when He wants to do it. Verse 13, verse, I'm reading Mark, reading Mark chapter 2, verse 13. And He went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto Him, and He taught them. And he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And that was how he called Levi, which also was called Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew, believe, the Gospel of Matthew. So this Levi was a tax collector, and Christ called him to follow him. Verse 15. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, I mean, they went to the house of this Levi, the tax collector, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many and they followed him. So this man, Levi, was a tax collector, and the Jews don't like tax collectors because they think these people are working for the enemy, the Roman Empire. So anyone, anyone that's working for the Roman Empire collecting taxes from these people, they branded them as sinners working for the enemy. Well, they have to 
pay their tax anyway. These people also also cheat them by over inflating the tax they collect, pocketing some of it, giving the rest to Rome. So that makes them to be much worse sinners. So this the Jews classify all these publicans as sinners, hitting their own people, cheating their own people. So so when they all that's why they say many publicans are sinners are sitting with a coming to Levi's house to see Jesus and eating with Jesus and the Jews didn't like that. They say, well, if you are a holy man, you will be working with tax collectors. This man that is said to be a holy man that is healing the sick and calling himself Messiah, he shouldn't be working with these sinners, tax collectors that are cheating the public. You should be working with holy people like us. That's what that's how they think. That's how the Jews are thinking in that, in that generation. <laughs> Verse 16 said, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him hit with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that ye are old have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That was the answer of Jesus Christ to this. Pharisees and scribes that were questioning his disciples that well, you, you guys said this man is a, is a holy person. You guys said this man is, a, is, the, is the Christ. Look at what he is sitting with people, people like this. Look at the people that are, that are he's associating with tax collectors that are cheaters, sinners, that are stealing from, from the people. Those are people you're working with and you say he's holy and that's how they think. And Jesus Christ heard about this, but they were not saying it to his face, they are saying it to his disciples behind his back. So when it was reported to him, they said, well, let me tell you this. They that are healthy, that's been whole, you don't need a doctor, a physician and a doctor. The only those that are sick need a doctor. That is, he is like a doctor, a physician, and those that are sick, these people that you say are sinners, they are the ones that are sick. He needed, they needed to be healed, that's what he meant. See, I came not to call the righteous. I didn't come to call the righteous people, but sinners to repentance. So he more or less demarcate his mission. His mission is to call sinners to repentance. And the only way you're going to call sinners to repentance is to go meet the sinners and tell them about it. If you don't want to see them, then you won't be calling them to repentance. If you don't want to talk to them, then you won't be calling them to repentance. If you don't want to even come to go to their house, or you want them to come to your house. And that's how many churches are. Instead of going to meet the sinners and preach to them, they say, the sinners that want to repent should come to church. And the sinners don't want to repent, they don't come. And those who want to repent, they don't think the, the church is the place where they should go. They think of where the church is the place where only holy people go to. So let's see, it's like a, you, are in a, you are in a stalemate. This people won't come to the sinners. The sinners won't come to this people because the only people go to church, holy people. So the sinners don't want to come. So you are not going to the sinners to go and bring them to church to Christ and you say, well, if they, you think they are sinners, you don't want to associate with them. Christ said, I have come to call the sinners to repentance. So he has to go meet the sinners where they are. That's why he was in the house eating and then speaking to them, not just eating with them and doing what they are doing, teaching them how to repent. So that is very important. Christ was preaching the gospel. And calling sinners to repentance. Verse 18. And the disciples of John, the disciples of John, John was still having his own disciples that they saw Jesus Christ. They heard what John said about Jesus, but they didn't follow Jesus. They are still clinging to John. 
and it sounds like when the revival broke out in maybe this pre-Bastilian uh, uh, church, some people still remain prisoners, some people will leave and follow the new revival or Methodist church, some people will leave that Methodist church and follow the revival, why some people are adamant they stay in their Methodist church or Baptist church, some people will leave that position and join the new revival that's coming up and giving another name, and why others will stay in their Baptist church, that is always the case. So these people that are following John the Baptist, they still continue to follow John the Baptist, they didn't drop everything and follow Jesus. But people like Andrew, they just want the truth. When John the Baptist pointed Jesus out, they just left John the Baptist and ran after Jesus. He said that in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. So they are now, so when we talk to, when we get to chapter 2 of Mark, verse 18, it's going to talk about these disciples of John. There are those people that stay with John and say, well, we don't know about this new rabbi. He's, he's not doing really the, the way we want him to do it. So they stay with John. So, and the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast? But thy disciples fast not. See, they are now accusing Jesus and his disciples that well, you guys are just eating and drinking. You are not fasting like we do fast. As if fasting is what's going to make them holy. You know? That's how the religiosity has, has made them think. We Pharisees and we John the Baptist disciples, we are fasting all the time. But we came by and we saw that you guys are just eating. Your disciples are just eating, not fasting. And Jesus Christ was so good to address that also in verse 19. And Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. I don't think they will understand what he meant when he said it. But we can understand it now that everything is done. He was telling them that while he was with them, Jesus Christ as the Messiah, he has, he has done all the fasting 40 days before he started ministry. So he is not going to be fasting like you are expecting. But the disciples, he's not teaching them fasting. He said, when I'm gone, they will be fasting. But right now, he is the bridegroom. He said, they don't need to be fasting when the bridegroom is here with you. So that's what he meant. But you see, Christ has gone up to heaven now like with disciples and disciples of Christ. And the apostles, they were fasting off and on occasionally, and we also fast off and on. I fasted 21 days several times before I started my ministry. But that was what Christ meant that when the bridegroom is taken away from the day, shall fast in those days because then we need the fasting to tune our body down to be able to be, to be able to contain the power God wants to put in this earthen vessels. That's what the fasting for. But when Christ was doing his, all the miracles, they don't need to be fasting then, they are just to be washing him. And so that when they are now fasting, it's for their own body to be tuned, to be trimmed. So that God can put the anointing upon them. Then, that's when the fasting is for our own body to trim. The Holy Ghost is the one that does the work anyway. Verse 21. And Lord continued in this uh, in this uh, expectation. He said, No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. Else, the new piece that filled it up, take it away from the old, and the rent is made worse. What was he talking about, right? He was telling, trying to differentiate his ministry from John the Baptist's ministry and the Pharisees' ministry. That you guys are trying to think I should be amalgamating my ministry with your practices. No, he said, this is a new thing. You can't put a new cloth to patch the old, because they are old. Trying to make the new one patch the old is not, not going to work. You need a new, a new garment, and he's continuing verse 22. He said, and no man put a new wine into old bottles. 
Else the new wine does burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be mad. But new wine must be put into new bottles. In short, telling them by the parable that if they are not going to come out and follow the Messiah, they are following the old, old bottles. They are like old bottles. The Pharisees were old bottles. Christ is bringing something new. And for them to accept Christ, they have to forsake the old and come and accept Christ. That's what this parable is telling them. And they may not understand it because they stay with John and didn't try to leave and come to follow the Messiah. Verse 23. And it came to pass that he went through the corn fields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. That's another episode. You see, post- Mark was just telling different episodes of what he what he had was going on, putting them together. This may not be chronological, as if it was after this one, that this one. He just said, keep the pass that he went through the corn field on the Sabbath day. Verse 24. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? What is not lawful? To be plucking corn on the Sabbath day, what it means is not lawful. Not that they should not eat. But see, they are saying, they are going to this field and plucking the corn. These people are passing by, and there's a corn on the right, corn on the left. They are hungry and say, well, you just pluck one corn and eat. And say, well, that's harvesting. They will say, that's harvesting. They can't harvest on the Sabbath day. Say, well, I'm hungry and I just need something, one of them to eat. And say, well, you can't harvest on the Sabbath day. You, if it's already harvested, then you are eating it. That's different. But you are the one that pluck it. That's how the religion, the religiosity of the Jews can tie this up and be, I mean, they put themselves in bondage. I was told, I've never been to Israel, but I was told that on the Sabbath day in Israel, in Jerusalem right now, their law is so strict that if you go into the elevator, you know, that like you are going to a five-story building, you go into the elevator, you are not allowed to press the button to take you to the fourth floor or the third floor. Why? Because it's a Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day, if you press the button, you are walking. <laughs> But you go inside that thing, you just take you automatically, it's your program. They reprogram it on the Sabbath day. You just go from floor to floor to floor to floor to floor so that you don't need to press the button. Because if you dare to press the button, I want to go to floor two, then you are walking. And you must not walk on Sabbath day. <laughs> See how, they can, how religion can tie people up? It's a bondage in itself. So that was how they tied themselves up in, in the days of Allah's Christ about Sabbath day. That these people, if you see, if, they, if somebody gives you corn, for food, you can eat the corn, but if you are passing by, you see the corn on the on the stalk in the field, and you want to pluck it and eat it right there. They say you are you are walking. That's a walk, which you shouldn't walk on Sabbath day because you are harvesting. Even though it's just one you pluck, it's harvesting. <laughs> so that is really how they tie themselves up with uh, religiosity, and so they are now telling Jesus Christ about that. that yeah, your disciples are walking on the Sabbath day. That's not lawful. Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And this guy also addressed that. It's not going to address whether it's not going to be debating that, oh, that's not work. Or no, he's going to tell them that even the Sabbath day you are talking about, you're overdoing it. You're over, that's what he's going to say, verse 25. And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was an hungered? He and they that were with him, how he went to the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest. And did eat the showbread, which is not lawful for to eat, but for the priests, and give also to them which were with him. 
Christ was actually just referring to history. If you think this is not lawful that they are doing, David did something that is not worse than that, that's not lawful, but God permitted it, right? Because he was hungry. That's why he was saying. David was hungry, and God permitted him to eat the shoe bread. And these people were hungry, and they were doing this, and you are saying they shouldn't be harvesting on somebody. If you're hungry, you do anything you need to do to just get food. So that even the priests, even, even the, and then went further in the, verse 27, and it says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. They are tying themselves up with this Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. See, the Son of Man, the logical, he is Lord of the Sabbath. He is, he is, the, he is the God that controls the Sabbath. That he initiated the Sabbath for you guys. It's not that you should tie yourself up, up as if you cannot do anything. You cannot do this. In another place, when they question about the Sabbath again, he told them, look, the priests are doing something in the temple on the Sabbath day. That's work also. Oh, yeah, that's for God. The said, what he was doing is also for God. When he was teaching, they said, well, you shouldn't be preaching or you shouldn't be healing the sick on the Sabbath day. Why? Because they think if you are healing the sick, as Lord Jesus Christ healing the sick, they thought he was walking. They thought that's how you, that's how you get your money because people go donate after they are healed. They come and give you money. But stop doing that on the Sabbath day. So, well, the priests were working on the Sabbath day in the temple and they are not violating anything. Yeah, well, that's for God. Yeah, this is for God. I'm doing it. I'm healing the sick on the Sabbath day for God. They didn't see that way. So that is how religion can tie people up. And Christ said, the Son of Man, the Lord himself, is Lord also of the Sabbath. This is the end of chapter 2. We're going to continue this in the next chapter 3. Praise the Lord.